we've come to realize maybe just in another moment of time we've come to realize that the real reason we're here is because of you. It's because of all that you've done for us. It's all that you're doing through us. And it's all of what yet we have to experience because of you. Our songs have not come from dead hearts, nor have they come from weakened spirits. Our songs have come because we want to praise you. And maybe just for a few moments, heaven was silent as the songs that we were singing, songs of redemption, songs of salvation, songs of praise, they wouldn't even have the the first understanding of what we mean from our hearts. It's great to sing with, with family members. We might not all sing on key. We might not all sing at the right time in the right tempo or whatever, but God, it is from our hearts that we sing to you because you alone are worthy. Your grace is far beyond our full comprehension, but yet we thank you for it. Your mercy is something that we get to experience every day, but there are moments when we don't quite fully understand that either. But we praise you, God. We thank you for each and every family that is here today. It is a special day. Today, Lord, that the country has set aside to remember all of our fallen soldiers, those who gave their all so that we could have all of this. Soldiers who gave of their lives on foreign soil so that we could have peace on our domestic soil. Soldiers who, for whatever reason, as they loaded either on ships during the first two world wars or in planes in the, the, last, the last wars that were being fought, when they said goodbye to their families and loved ones, little did they know that some of them would not return. And we would be foolish as a country to forget them. Monuments are built to remind us of how much they endured so that we could endure our freedoms. Some of us are aware of fellow soldiers that we fought with, that we stood next to. Some of us have family members, loved ones, who served the country well. And it is this day that we remember them. 
And it's just today that we thank you, God, for them. But it's also a special day, too, Lord, that this will be the, the last Sunday that Pastor Isaac will occupy his office. In my opinion, it has been a great six years that I've had the pleasure to minister with him. Our Sunday morning talks are precious, at least to me. I'll miss them. But we're here, Lord, to also celebrate. To celebrate your call and directive to the Kettner family as they head to a work that needs them. You saw to it, Lord, that this work that for the last few years has been praying for a shepherd. And Lord, you're sending to them a great shepherd. Not great in the stance that he's greater than you, Lord. But I know his heart. I know his soul. I know his passion. And they will be in great care. As he has done that here at Grace Community Church. So we thank you, God, too. Not for a soldier that fought in the armed services, but a soldier that fought in the army of God. And he fought well. We pray for them, asking, Lord, that you would continue to open doors, continue to direct their paths, show them, Lord, where it is that they're to live, Show them, Lord, where it is that they need to concentrate on in ministry so that, Lord, the work in Binghamton, New York, will be that impacted by the very presence of God that the kingdom of God would grow. It would become a stable lighthouse in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we thank you this morning. The song previously, or just last song, speaks of your word to speak. I'm so glad, Lord, that your word is alive. I'm glad that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. I'm glad that it is you speaking. I'm glad that it's profitable profitable for every aspect of life and even this morning lord as we open your word i pray that your spirit would open our hearts to receive that which you would have for us and we'll be careful to praise you asking you lord that that which we lack that you will supply that which we don't fully understand you'll make clear And that, Lord, that you will shape in us, as the Apostle Paul wrote, that we would be conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ, for this is your plan for our lives. And we'll thank you and 
praise you in the matchless name of Christ. Amen. Forgive me for the title for this morning. You all need a kick. That's not a uh, slam upon any one of you, but if you've noticed any world-class sprinters, if you watch the Olympics or, or even high school track or national track meets, you realize that most of the distance runners have what's called a kick. In fact, in classical running terms, the kick literally means the extra energy to be able to finish no matter how far they had previously run, to be able to kick it into another gear to finish well. And when we come to 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is sharing with Timothy about how to have a kick. How to finish well. I want to share with you from this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, I want to share with you two aspects of this charge. The first is the nature of the charge. And the second is the basis for the charge. What is Paul trying to get at? If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy. You're probably already there. 2 Timothy in chapter 4, it says these words. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. But the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants you to have a kick. doesn't matter what circumstance you're in, it doesn't matter what trial of faith you may be going through. It doesn't matter what testing of your faith that you may be feeling the pressure. God wants you to have a kick. 
wants you to finish well. In the book of 2 Timothy, there are really four charges that Paul is giving to Timothy. This is the very last book that Paul writes before he's martyred. And he wants to make sure that his spiritual son in Jesus Christ, Timothy, is prepared for the journey that he's about to go on. Paul has given him the charge over the church at Ephesus. He's the pastor now. And in the church of Ephesus, if you follow its historical context, it's first introduced in the book of Acts as Paul spends three years there and he tries his best to establish a foundation upon which that church can grow. And as he's leaving, he tells the leaders of that church at that time, beware because wolves are going to come in. And they're going to try to disrupt everything that I've taught you. They come in in false pretense. It says, wolves in sheep's clothing. And they want to destroy the sheep. They want to separate them. They want to do this because of their own greed. And Paul says, be very careful. And Paul writes another letter to the church of Ephesus. We know it as the book of Ephesians. And he's incorporating in there a very interesting phrase. Because have you asked yourself the question, why would Paul write Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, Not of works, lest any man should boast. Why would the Apostle Paul be writing that to a church that should have known that? It's because they're beginning to fall. And it's not long in their historical context that in the book of the Revelation, the very first church that is addressed by Jesus Christ is the church of Ephesus. And the condemnation is that you have left your first love. This is the church that Timothy is pastoring. This is the church that Paul is challenging him and trying to give him and trying to instruct him about having a kick at the end of the race. But let's look at the nature of the charge, the nature of the charge. We mean to pick it up at verse 2. The nature of the charge is simply three words. Preach the word. Preach the word. Notice it doesn't say preach a word. Preach some word. No, it says preach the word. What word is he referencing to? And just the close of chapter 3 gives us the indication for all Scripture 
is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may thoroughly, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Preach the word. And Pastor Isaac and I on our Sunday morning discussions and sometimes during the week discussions, we, we talk about preaching the word. We talk about, uh, I more want his input than and I'm sure he wants mine, but I want him as his input as we talk about passages of Scripture. What's in here? We sort of feed off of each other. Not in a negative way where we come out with scars, but we feed off of each other. We want to know, we, we connect, and, and we hash out situations of what does this passage mean? I think I've gained more from him than he from me. But still, if ever I get a, another chance to preach, it's still going to be the same thing. Preach the word, brother. That's all we got. But you'll notice in this, though, there are some proclamations about preaching the word. First of all, The Apostle Paul wants us to know that it's an urgent proclamation. He says, be ready. Be ready. Remember our kick? Well, at the beginning of the starting line, as the sprinters, especially as the sprinters, get in their blocks, they're getting ready. And at the sound of the gun, they're off. The Apostle Paul is drawing our attention to the fact that get in your blocks. The race is about to begin, Timothy. Mine's coming to an end, but your race is about to begin. Get ready. Be ready. It's an urgent proclamation. It's not something that we can sit back on. It's something that we need to be actively engaged in. I hope that by now you understand that I'm not not preaching this message for Pastor Isaac. (laughs) It's for all of us. The world around us It's calling the church to step back and let us do our own thing. But the Apostle Paul says, be ready. The race that is before us is that urgent. Why? Because souls are at stake. The souls of men and women and children are at stake. Be ready. The second proclamation is sort of tied to this because it's a relevant proclamation. Notice what he's supposed to do in in, in verse 2. Convince, rebuke, and exhort. But notice he doesn't say, use the words of men. Use the philosophies of men. No. The same word that we are to be ready to preach It's the same word that we are to use to exhort, convince, 
rebuke. It's kind of interesting those three words point out, if you will, the focus of the word. The, the word to convince is the intellectual. The intellectual. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. The word of God is not dumb. But at the same time, it's that simple that a child can understand that they need a Savior. Intellectual. Mental assent. Didactic. Didacti is the Greek word. For rebuke, it's the moral. Intellectual, moral. If you're like me, Many of you should say, boy, I hope I'm not like him. But if you're like me, what has caused my mind to spin the past few months is that I would have never thought 10 years ago that it would have been okay to kill a baby right after it's born. Never even crossed my mind. I remember in 1973 getting on my school bus from Mohawk Central School, going home. And in that year, the Supreme Court determined that abortion was a legal right according to the Constitution. And look what it's got to us now. The Word of God is for Morality, decency, affecting even the fact of how we live our lives. And lastly, exhortation is the emotional. If you haven't yet figured it out in six years, I'm a pretty emotional guy. Songs do that to me reading some of the passions in the Word of God does that to me. When you go and read, especially around Christmas time, Luke chapter 2, I can't help but begin to weep for what God has done for us. When you read passages too that highlight the fact that hell is too hot and time is too short, you begin to weep especially when you've got a best friend who lives in Minnesota who doesn't know Jesus. And you so want him to. It's emotional. Intellect, morality, emotional. The Word of God, preach the Word. The, second, or the third proclamation is a patient one. You don't know me that well, but my wife does. I'm not very patient. I'm glad you didn't say amen. How many of you men just got jabbed in the ribs by your wife? Can I see a hand? Amen. Hallelujah. I see that hand, but I'll be praying for you later. Yeah. Not a very patient man. 
But the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, long-suffering. Aren't you glad, though, that God's long-suffering? Aren't you glad that he's patient? I'm glad that he's that patient, that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Be patient, long-suffering. Brother, you're going to go to a new work with 35 people that you've got a chance to infuse with the word of God. And there's going to be some days that you're going to think, I can just get as well if I just went over there and kept beating my head against the wall. Just be patient. Let God do his work. And you will be coming out, you'll come out like fine gold. The last part of the proclamation, though, is this, is that it is an intelligent proclamation. When Pastor Isaac, in the times that he's preached for me, and I trust when I stand in front of you, that we are not up here just giving you just a bunch of facts and stuff. We are to do it intelligently, by teaching, by teaching. All of you that are just about ready to get done with school, I can see the smiles on some of the teachers. Yeah. But some of the best teachers I had were individuals that were not flashy. And they were not in any way overimposing. But for some reason, when they walked into the classroom, they got your attention. I remember my seminary professor of theology begin to weep when we began to study the time of last things. And he began to weep because he shared with the class of his brother and sister that do not yet know Jesus. Teaching doing it well, intelligently. That should be our passion. But there's also a basis for this charge. I want to give you three. The first one is in verse 1. We go back to verse 1 now, and it's this. The basis for the charge is the coming of Jesus Christ. I really feel that the Apostle Paul thought that Jesus was coming during his day. I think he anticipated it to happen. I, think he, I know he was looking forward to it. In fact, generations have gone by where people have said, boy, if it, gets, and it can't get any worse than this time. Jesus has got to be coming soon. I wonder if that's the mantra of this generation. How much worse can it get? But the anticipation of Jesus coming is the basis for the preaching of the word. The Apostle Paul didn't say anything about his authority. He didn't say anything about his words. But he said the ultimate basis 
Is that coming in the Lord Jesus Christ as it says in verse 1? Who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom? I wrote myself a note. And the note goes something like this. Would I want people to follow after my life? Would I like to say that I'm your example? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And he's reminding him, he's reminding Timothy, that Timothy, you know everything that I've taught you. You know my words. Even in chapter 1, he says, you know my very life. Live like this. Why? Because I believe the Apostle Paul lived every day expecting that Jesus was coming that day. And he wanted to be ready. He knew that he was going to be judged. And he wrote for us in 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, that we also too will be judged. So we should preach the word knowing that God's coming at any moment. The second basis is the Apostle Paul had Timothy focus on the people that he's going to be ministering to. If you go back and read chapter 3, which we don't have time this morning to do that, you go back and read chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, in the latter days, there's going to be perilous times. This is what's going to happen, Timothy. This is going to be the world that you're going to minister into. They're not going to like you. They don't want anything to do with the truth. He highlights the fact that not only are their ears itching for something other than the truth, but they will go and find teachers and preachers that will teach and preach what they want instead of the truth. I know Pastor Isaac's heart. He'll be preaching the truth. And I know many of your hearts that you want to live the truth. Why? Because we live in a world where people don't want to know the truth. But we are obligated to preach the word. And lastly, the Apostle Paul says, I'm done. I'm finished. There's an interesting phrase, I don't know if you caught it or not, but there's an interesting phrase in, in, verse, um, in verse 6 where it says that my departure is at hand. That's a nautical term. It is the unmooring, if you will, or the releasing, the untying of the anchor so that the, the ship can begin to drift out into the ocean. The Apostle Paul knew that my life is coming to an end. 
I'm a drink offering poured out to the praise of God. I'm a ship that's departing into a sea of tranquility that will ultimately meet the Lord God Almighty. He said, I fought the good fight. I finished my race. I've come to the end of my course. Now, Timothy, you carry on. Pastor Isaac and Abby are loosening their anchor from Grace Community Church. They're not drifting out into a, and by the way, you're not drifting out to a sea of tranquility. (laughs) The one thing you and I have discussed, brothers, we know people. And when you work with people, as Warren Wiersbe once said, the sheep are never satisfied. That may be true. But for, for you and Abby and your children, and for us as a congregation at Grace Community Church, Paul's words are just as true for us as it is for them. Preach the word. Live it. Share it. Long, suffingly, if there's ever a word, patiently, but dynamically for the purpose that Jesus Christ is coming soon. Will someone give me an amen? Let's pray together. Father, it was a message that I never thought I'd have to preach, Lord. Your word tells me that your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Isaiah wrote that to the nation of Israel. And yet this morning we are here realizing that the charge that Paul gave to Timothy is a charge not only for Pastor Isaac and Abby and their family, but a charge for us here at Grace Community Church. That we would be faithful in preaching the word of God to a world that doesn't really want to know truth. But yet, Lord, we're to do it patiently, intellectually, emotionally, morally, using your word that is profitable for every aspect of life. We're to preach your word. So, God, I would charge Pastor Isaac and Abby I would charge them as Paul charged Timothy. I therefore charge you in the presence of God and in the Lord Jesus Christ who will be the judge of the living and the dead and his kingdom. Preach the word. They have impacted our lives here at Grace Community Church. And now, Lord, we commission them to impact lives in Binghamton, New York. By your grace and for your glory, use them mightily. And as we end this service and go over to have dinner with them, I pray, God, that you would 
bless the food to the strength of our bodies and the fellowship to the joy of your ears. May you be honored and we'll thank you and praise you in your name. Amen.